I will not be distracting at all to anyone if I just turn my back to One screen back. Yeah, thanks.
full course.
Okay, so there's that one measure in between. Yeah, but he wants to say there is a way. Right, right, but there is a whole measure, whole measure, right? So we stay on this. So I don't uh, need to say there's no way. Cause if we are the body
go to, okay, so then after the bridge, it does kind of a strum and hold thing with the first chord. Yes. After the bridge, do we do strum and hold?
we're not doing, if we're not doing, um, uh, well, I'm called? hearing it from the drums, Is it Jesus paid much too high a price for us to pick and choose who should come? If we are the body of Christ, cause if we are the body, why not his?
chorus going into the bridge.
Second bridge. is calling
Yep. Okay.
So uh, I'm Dan, if I don't know you. Um, uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, we're continuing to roll through the book of Romans, um, and we're going through it quickly uh, at kind of like a big picture look at the major principles that are in there. And so we're running through two different chapters today. Uh, I feel really uneasy, actually, uh, as I start this message. I'll look at my watch because I was telling somebody just a little while ago, it's one of those messages that you go forever on. Um, but we're, we're looking at kind of what we saw in that, that video. You know, there's this disconnect between who Jesus is and what his followers are. And uh, in some cases, I think this video was probably shot in a place and edited in a way that maybe it, it doesn't put Christians in the best light. But there's a reality in everything we just saw there about how the followers of Christ do not look like Christ. And, and in some respects, that should be expected because he's God and we're not. But in other respects, uh, I would say that perhaps we should look differently than we do. And so what we're going to see in these couple chapters of Romans, uh, as we look at chapter 12 and chapter 13, uh, we see Paul talking about uh, what the followers of Christ are supposed to look like, what their lives are supposed to be like. Uh, and so that's what we're going to be discussing as we go through this message. Uh, so let me pray, and then we'll get into the text a little bit. Father, thank you for this time to look at your word. Thank you for this time to think about uh, what it means to be a follower of Christ. Thank you for uh, the gift that you've given us to having so much clarity in what that means. Um, Lord, as we go through these two chapters, uh, I ask that you would help us to get the big picture from you. Uh, Lord, I'd also ask that for the sake of our nursery and children's workers, that you'd keep my uh, words brief but effective. And in all this, Christ, or all this, Lord, we ask that Christ would be glorified. Uh, amen. So uh, let's start off looking at a couple verses, um, verse 1 and 2 of Romans 12. Uh, and then we're going to read through uh, the full text of, of both these chapters. But I think this sets an important context for us. So uh, verse, or chapter 12 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, and here's a couple things that I'd like you to pull out of these first two verses, since they kind of set the tone for all of the rest of what we're going to be talking about. First off is, uh, in terms of context, that Paul has just spent 11 chapters explaining to us who Jesus is, who we are, how we struggle with sin, that we, we, we are given this gift of grace. And he does that for 11 chapters before in this chapter he starts to go, and so this is what your life should look like. Okay? And if we just take these couple chapters out of context, we're going to end up saying, oh, Christianity is all about me being good. Okay. And that is completely the wrong message to walk away from. If you walk away from that today, or with that today, I have failed miserably. Uh, what Paul is doing, the context that he's, he's setting this up in is, look at what God has done for you, now react accordingly. Okay. This is not an admonition to be 
all you can be. It's not an army slogan, okay? It is, uh, it is just him saying, hey, now that we understand what Christ has done, this is what your life ought to be looking like, okay? The other thing I'd like you to think about is that if you look through all these different verses, if you actually look at the, um, the way the pronouns are, most of it is geared towards uh, group plural thinking. Okay? This is not a list of how the individual Christian should be. It is a list of how Christians, how people that follow God together should be. So this is not a, a, a series of me commands. This is a series of we, this is what we should look like. And it's important that we think about that because part of the focus of what I'm going to be discussing with you today is what we, as this particular congregation that God has established here at Red Hills, are supposed to look like. And so it's important to just keep that in mind that it's a, a we kind of a thought. So uh, having said that, to set the context, let's go through the rest of these verses in these two chapters um, and then we'll dig in a little bit deeper. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. <clears throat> Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay? As we get into chapter 13, you know, chapter 12, he's just gone through a, a long laundry list of kind of modes and standards of conduct. And that's why I want to reemphasize again that he is not saying, hey, this is how you earn God's favor. He is saying this is what it looks like to be living in God's favor. So in continuing verse, verse uh, 1 of chapter 13, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. I know some of you want to delete verse 6 there, but we can't. So. Right. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom re respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. 
Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we, than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So as we look through those many verses, and as we think about what this all means, I want you to kind of think about the big picture. You're sensible people. I could stand up here and tell you how to be cheerful or how to be hospitable and all that sort of thing, but I think you probably really don't need to hear that. Most of you or all of you already know that that is kind of the standard of a good person, right? Um, uh, but the, the point here is not to, to dig into those particular uh, specific actions. Uh, our, our desire today is to look at the bigger picture, the overall, what is Paul saying, what is God saying through Paul in this section. And so here's where I'd like to focus our discussion today. First, the idea that followers live a life of sacrificial worship. Those of us that believe in Jesus Christ should be characterized by lives that are sacrificial in our worship. Second, that followers live a life that is different than the world. Um, and then to ask the question, do we do that? Right? So as we ask this question about, um, or this idea that followers live a life of sacrificial worship, uh, thinking back to verse 1 of chapter 12 where, where we're told to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. If you think about what the term sacrifice means, uh, sacrifice usually doesn't go well for the thing that is being sacrificed. Right? Um, so this is different than saying live your life as a sign or live your life as, uh, as an instrument. It is saying live your life as a sacrifice, which means that there is a cost. And if we were to look in some detail of what we see in terms of costs, I'm, I'm going to kind of throw three big categories out here. The first, uh, if you look at the verses 3 to 8 of chapter 12, you kind of see that there's this sacrifice of individuality. Uh, it says there that we are... Uh, in a team effort. We are doing this together, that each member belongs to all the others, that we no longer have, as followers of Christ, a claim to our own individuality. In other words, I'm not saying that you you can't be who you are. I'm saying that you can't do life on your own. And we see this kind of epidemic in the American church where people will go, well, you know, I just stay at home and I do church through whatever, you know, televangelist, online preacher, whatever, and, and, and that's good for me. I got it figured out, and, and God is closing the door on that. We are not uh, in a position as followers of Christ to do this on our own. We are supposed to do it together. Um, he admonishes us to use our talents and gifts corporately and collectively, noting that we have different gifts that we're given, and if we don't come together to use all those together, then, then the body of Christ, the church, the people that follow Christ, will somehow be short of the things that, uh, that they've been given to use for God's good purposes. Uh, the second thing that we're kind of told that we sacrifice is, is our desires. If you read through in some detail in verses 9 through 21, there's all these different things that God calls us to give up, our, our, our self 
interest and self-aggrandizement to keeping hold of our stuff, to using our time for our own ends, our right to privacy, uh, our right to be self-righteous, our right to have revenge. All these things we have to give up as we are followers of Christ. And it's not that we have to give them up so that he approves them again. Uh, It's because that is the nature of who we are as we follow Christ, is we, we release our claims on saying, hey, I get to satisfy my own desires. No, my, my claim is to satisfy the desires of my Lord. And lastly, he says uh, essentially that we have to relinquish our claims to our own autonomy. Um, uh, chapter 13 gets into some really difficult stuff, I think, in, in our current context in terms of where our country is and everything. But the idea of submitting to the authorities that God has put it over us, has put over us, the idea of committing to others, the idea of paying taxes, of showing honor to people who we might think are not so honorable, uh, all of these things are done in the context that God is in charge of all this. And if God is in charge of everything, I don't have a claim anymore to say, I'm going to do what I think is best. I'm, I'm essentially saying God's plan is best, and I'm going to get fully behind that. So when he says to, to offer your bodies as uh, uh, spiritual sacrifices, as that being your worship, uh, this is the idea is that we are giving up some claims to things that the rest of the world says are super important, that, that our bodies naturally think are super important. And, and that leads to this idea that we as followers of Jesus Christ should look different. Uh, He says in verse 2 of chapter 12, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you look again through all these verses that we're looking through, uh, we're told to be genuine, to hold fast to what is good, to have have affection, to honor others, to be fervent in spirit, service and prayer, to be patient in tribulation, to give, to be hospitable, to bless our enemies, to be unprejudiced, to be humble and peaceable. All these things are things that are unconformed to this world. These are not the things that the rest of the world tends to do. We've all heard the term a dog-eat-dog world, and that is very much what our natural human nature wants to do. It wants to put up us first, me first, uh, my tribe first, and put everything else second. And, And God is saying here, no, that's not how it works with me. You've got to be different than the rest of the world uh, if you are mine. Um, and one of the things I think that is just a clear example of this is, is verse 19. He talks about not avenging yourselves. If you look at our current cultural landscape, the, the hostility that we see in the media and on, on social media, okay, uh, critical theory, all, these things are based fundamentally in the idea that there's an oppressor, and I should be able to take vengeance on that person. There, is, there are people who have done wrong, and they should be made to pay. And God says here, that is not the way of the kingdom. Okay? We do not take vengeance. God takes vengeance. We live in this mode of love. So God, God says, don't be conformed to the world. Live differently. And he says this in an interesting way, and I just want to take a second to, to emphasize this because I think it's important. Uh, We aren't supposed to be people who don't do things. We're supposed to be people fundamentally who do things. And here's what I mean by that. Um, If you look at verse 9, he goes through this list of some of the the Ten Commandments, the thou shalt nots. And he says, 
this is fulfilled in doing the things that you should do. You should love one another. Okay? Uh, you should love your neighbor as yourself, rather. Um, and so uh, that, that whole latter part of chapter 13, when he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 14, that's our worship. That is who we are supposed to be. Okay? It's not so much that we have to not do these things, otherwise we're in violation of the law. It's that we're supposed to do the things that God wants us to do because that is how we live as his servants. That is how we live in grace. And it makes sense for us to do that in the context of grace because Jesus has made it possible for us to be forgiven of everything. We don't walk around in life going, oh, I sinned again. Okay? That is not the intent. The intent is for us to go, oh, I'm worshiping my Lord through everything that I do. And so he's very, very clear at the end of the chapter that he's making kind of an affirmative statement that we are supposed to uh, live lives of love. Think of it this way. Um, as we think about sexual purity in our, in our culture, how many times have you heard or thought or had the, the idea presented to, to young folks of like, hey, don't sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend, right? So that's a valid thing to say. It's consistent with Scripture. But how many times have you heard somebody say, be an amazing boyfriend or girlfriend, who sanctifies your significant other. It's a different way of looking at it. The first way is, hey, there's a law not to be broken. The second way is, there is a thing that you can do for the glory of God. Okay? And that's what he's pu- pushing us to consider, is that, that this isn't just about not doing things, because that's the way of the law. This is about doing the things that God has called us to do, because that's the way of grace. And I'll say that learning is implicit in this, uh, us coming together on Sundays to Sunday schools to Bible studies and all that kind of stuff, super, super important for us to be able to do this. But it's important for us to acknowledge that learning is not what Christ said his church would be all about. What did he say his church would be all about? How would his disciples be known? If you looked at John thirteen thirty five, you'll read Jesus saying, they'll know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And if you think back to that video... None of those people said Christians, oh, they're the loving folks. No, we're the people that glow. <laughs> okay, maybe that's what that, that one girl meant by, by uh, glow, is that people are loving. But, but we should, if we're consistent with what Christ said, we should be known for how much we take care of one another. That should be the, the uh, MO of who we are. And, and I would say, if you are here today, and you've been coming to church for 50 years, and you can quote every chapter of every book in the Bible, but you are not known to be a loving person, then you have a ton to learn about discipleship, as I do. Okay? Because that is supposed to be the mark of who we are. So we're supposed to live different lives. We're supposed to live sacrificial lives. Uh, So what does that mean to us? Do we actually do that here at Red Hills? Do we live sacrificial, different lives? And I would say, on the one hand, yes, absolutely. Uh, I was just shared a story a few weeks ago uh, by a brother here in our congregation who, when his family came here, a bunch of you came alongside them, helped them, brought them meals, did amazing things, which was all to the glory of God. And that is a fantastic thing. And these kinds of things happen on a regular basis here. Another thing that we do 
as a church that God has allowed us to do that has just been hugely impactful as we have sent people out to different congregations, whether it be worship teams or teachers or whatever, uh, all through this area, and that has been a great thing too. But on the other hand, we could say, no, we don't really do this well as a congregation. Um, If I think about things like prayer, when we have prayer events, prayer activities, uh, it's not infrequent for us to have one or three people show up, okay? which is, is, is not a good thing. We had a, an opportunity to do some ministry to some of the, the homes for, for kids that are kind of living troubled lives uh, a, a while back. And when we went to look for folks to help with that, there was just nobody that, that would or could. Okay? That, that's kind of a problem as well. Right now, we're really struggling in our children's ministry to have enough people to support that. That's not such a great thing. And so when we ask the question of, are we doing this the way we ought to? In some cases we are, but in some cases we're not. And, and I would like to challenge you as, as we're thinking through this today, is if we can worship God sacrificially with our lives in, in a way that is different from the rest of the world, uh, it will have great impact. And so here's where I want you to understand a really important thing. I could stand up here, and I was tempted to. I started with this in how I wanted to present this this message today. Think of all the great things we could do. Think of how much you could impact this world, this community. Think of what people could say about Red Hills. That is completely the wrong way to think. That is exactly not what Paul is saying here. He is not saying, hey, look at what you could do, so go do it. He's saying, look at your Savior and what he did, so go do these things. That's why I wrote up here that the results of what we do are the shadow of a life lived in the light of grace. In other words, if I am living in grace, if I am responding to to my Lord's grace, then my life will cast a shadow, will, will have an impact on the world around me. And we collectively, if we are living in grace, we will have a huge impact on the people that are sitting here, on the people in our community. But let's not get the wrong idea that we should all do nice things because other people will say good things. That's exactly what atheists do. That's exactly what uh, you know, false religions do. That, that is not what this message is about. This message is about the fact that Christ died for us. And if we're willing to respond to that, in the way that he asked us to, in the way that he modeled, we will have a tremendous impact on this world uh, in which we live. So Paul says, uh, as we get down to the end of this chapter, uh, wake from sleep. And so we have to ask the question, are we asleep? And I know, because I know some of you, that some of you are not at all asleep, and some of you are. Um, And that's the reality of of where we are. He says, wake from sleep, and then he says, put on the armor of light. When we think about this idea of sleeping, it's basically the idea of living as if Christ is not Lord. And so I want to think about a couple things as we think about how can we live lives that are gracious to our our fellow members of this church, to our community. Uh, It's common for us to say, hey, wait a minute, I don't have enough time. And when you say that, I've lived the same life that you are, I still live that same life, you're right, you don't have enough time. 
But here's how I would like you to think about this. At the top of this graphic, okay, here's the day that you have, right? And on an average day, you go, I got to sleep, okay? And I agree, you do. And on an average day, you go, I got to eat, yeah. And you got to work, okay? And then you got to maybe go to the gym and go shopping and, and uh, take the kids to their sports and, and relax a little bit. You can't be going 100% all the time. And then at the end of the day, you go, well, where do I put the God stuff? Right about 6 p.m., it looks like I have maybe a half an hour. I guess I'll fit him in there. And that's, that's one of the ways that we're kind of taught to live, taught to think. And it's the wrong way to think. Okay? Here's how we're supposed to, to, to think in terms of Christ has done all of this for us. Uh, Christ has redeemed us. Christ has transformed us. Okay? All of my time is God's stuff. So if I'm going to work, I'm going to work for God. If I don't think I'm going to work for, for, for God, I should probably change what I do. Okay? If I'm going to sleep, I'm going to sleep for God. And that means if I need to just get four hours tonight, that's okay, because he can sustain me through that. If I need to skip a meal, that's okay. If I need to tell the kids, you know what? No sports this season. We've got other things to do. Parents, you're allowed to do that. Okay? Because it's all God stuff. What we want to do is we want to be thinking, hey, my life is a sacrificial life that worships Jesus Christ. And there are costs to that. And I understand those costs. And I'm more than, more than willing to pay them because that's what Christ did for me. Okay? We might say, I don't have enough money to get involved in the things that I think God might want me to get involved in. And again, that might be a true statement. You might not have enough left at the end of the month to do the things that you think maybe you want to do. But let me, and I won't go through a big graphic here again, but let me ask you to think about if, if you pulled out all your money out of your wallet and you pay yourself first and all the things you think you have to do and then you see what's left over for the kingdom of God, you're thinking about it wrong. We talked about this a while back in, in, uh, here in, in, at Red Hills. But the idea is that all of, everything in my wallet right now is God's. And so everything that comes out goes to his glory. And if that means that I really have to sacrifice, it means I don't take a vacation, I don't buy that ATV, I don't uh, eat as well. Whatever that means, that's okay because I'm living this life that is sacrificial. This is the biggest thing, I think, for most people is you just say, I don't have the ability. Let's say that I say, ah, Children's ministry, having a hard time right now, kind of short on volunteers, and you're like, oh, I don't do kids. Okay? Imagine if you're out at the lake on the hills in January, and somebody's drowning. And somebody goes, hey, that kid's drowning. And you're like, I don't do cold water. <laughs> okay? That's ludicrous. Okay? Uh, and yet so often we put boundaries around what God's allowed to do because we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, I'm just not good at this. Okay? Newsflash. In the Bible, just about everybody, in fact, I, I will say everybody but Jesus Christ in the Bible who does significant things is grossly unqualified to do those significant things. Okay? If God puts it on your heart and you pray and you say, hey, I'm supposed to plug in here or here or here, and you go, I have no skills whatsoever for that. Okay? If God is pushing you in that direction, go do it. When's the last time you took a leap of faith just said, I may completely blow this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Why? Because I live a life of sacrificial worship. Because I understand what God has done for me. Okay? 
That's what God is calling to. That's what Paul is pointing to us as we read through all these different specific things that we're supposed to be. The big picture is, hey, you're supposed to live as if Jesus really did die to pay the price for your sins, as if he really did rise again. And so everything is secure. All those, all those amazing verses in chapter 8 that said that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that, that you're absolutely secure, live as if those are true, and go do the things that God would have you do okay, out of worship to him. Okay. He has given us opportunities to be Jesus to the world. And the question is, are we going to step out and do that? And as I said, many of you are already doing that. Okay? Uh, most of us have places where we're still holding back, okay? where Jesus still isn't Lord of parts of our lives. And so part of our challenge is to say, God, I really do want to be completely uh, devoted to you and, and live my life sacrificially for you. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. We're kind of doing things out of order in terms of our sequence today, but it's so that we could have this time, having discussed what we just discussed and, and thought about what Paul is saying in these chapters. Uh, the worship team is going to come up, and we're going to sing a couple of, of songs. Uh, they're going to sing two songs that are uh, just normal worship songs we're going to sing together. Uh, and then they're going to do a special piece where we'll ask you to sit down and, and just kind of think. And, and just so you know what's coming after that, I am going to get up here and talk a little bit more. But basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to look at that little card that's in your bulletin this morning. And, and I want you to be thinking about how do I respond to the fact that God has called me to live sacrificially is there a place in my life where God is saying, hey, I want you to be part of what we're doing? So if the worship team will come up, um, we'll do that. And then I will be back up here to finish uh, this discussion today. Please stand with us and worship. Thank you. 
seated, uh, I'd invite you to just kind of think about what it is that God would have you do uh, in worship of him uh, with uh, the life and the gifts that he's given you.
as you wait for the crown Tell the world of the treasure you found Jesus is calling Amen Thank you guys Oh what a savior, isn't he wonderful? So as I finish this up, uh, I want to emphasize that idea that uh, it is because of our great Savior, because of the one who was willing to give everything for us, to make a way for us to have eternity secure and to have an abundant life now. Um, He is the reason that we're doing what we're doing right now. And part of me is... Fearful that this will come across as a marketing ploy, a way to get you to help the church in its particular places of need. Um, My role, Richard's role, uh, our role as pastors is to equip the saints for ministry. And and we don't know how to equip you if we don't know what ministry God has plugged you into or if you're not plugged into a particular ministry. Just getting up and teaching for 30 minutes on a Sunday uh, doesn't do the trick. And so uh, I'm going to invite you to pull out those little cards that are in your um, bulletin that talk about opportunities. Um, Before you necessarily fill those out, uh, I do want to talk about, um, first off, if you're watching online, you don't have a card. So the idea here is to think about where it is that God would want to plug you in to what he's doing in our area, whether it be within the walls of Red Hills or without. Uh, If you're visiting here, then obviously I'm not going to help you out if you submit one of those cards because I probably won't ever uh, have an opportunity to do that. Uh, But if you are calling Red Hills your home, then I'd invite you to fill out this card uh, that you have in there. And I want to talk about some of the real needs we have in our church. Uh, A need does not make a call, But we, as people of Christ, are in the habit of filling needs. So I want you to, to, to understand that, that we need people that are willing to pray. Not just come and pray every once in a while, but to make that a focus of what they do. Not just at home, not that, that I probably shouldn't use the word just there. But we need to have people that are coming together to pray for our church, for our community, for the growth of the kingdom, for the lost. Uh, nursery and children's ministry stuff. The nursery's been growing. Children's ministry stuff has been growing. I already mentioned a couple times that we're really short on on helpers, in particular with the the children's ministry. Um, But here's what I want you to be thinking about, is if a family comes to Red Hills with kids and their kids don't enjoy or at least uh, have a positive impact from what they experience here, that family will not come back doesn't matter how good the worship is, how good the, the, the pastor spoke that Sunday, that family's not coming back if the kids are not in a, in a safe and, and comfortable and, and helpful place. Okay? So when we minister to the kids, we're not only ministering to them, we're ministering to families. So, so think about that. Uh, Red Hills, in, in many ways, is in needs of leadership. Okay? And, and I don't necessarily mean leadership of the, the bigger church organization, but when people come to me and say, hey, I want to do something for the community, what are you guys doing in the community? My answer is... Okay? 
Are we doing nothing? No, we're not doing nothing. But in terms of, of group, corporate, hey, let's go out and do this sort of thing, we're really a lot sparser than we ought to be. And there's tons of needs, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But we do need people that are willing to step up. I won't call them out by name because I don't want to build a big head, but we got one guy in here that has, has just taken on like facilities management and upkeep, and, and he like schedules meetings uh, or, or schedules activities, and, and he's like, hey, can I spend money on this? We're like, go spend it. You don't need approval for that. I love that somebody is just going, let's get this done. There's a need. I want to fill it. That's the kind of thing that we need. Uh, and we're going to talk more at, during the announcements, too, about small groups. We need to get people plugged into small groups so that we can do the one another's other than on Sunday mornings so that we can build those strong relationships that give us um, uh, the life that God wants us to have. Um, there are real needs in our community as well. Uh, I will say again, our community needs prayer, and we should be engaged in that. Uh, we need Christian businessmen, people that are engaged in the commerce in Cedar City who are willing to be a light in everyday work, okay? whether you're the, the head of a business or just part of a business, uh, there may be opportunities for us to encourage each other in how we engage in, in that thing that we call work. Uh, we have homeless, we have low-income folks, we have kids, we have needs all over the place, probably a bunch that I don't know about, uh, that maybe God wants us to fill. We have a bunch of places in our community where kids that are coming from troubled backgrounds come and live here for sometimes years at a time, and they frequently have no access to church, no access to uh, Christian teaching. Uh, and, and they have in the past asked us to come and engage. So if, if that turns your heart, then, then that may be something that you want to respond to as well. Uh, as I ask you now to think about filling out those cards, here's what I want to say is this is not a get-behind-me call. I'm not saying, hey, I want you to get plugged into the thing that I think is important. This is a worship God with your life call. And if worshiping God, worshiping God with your life means you check one of those boxes and put your name or, or, and your phone and email down and, and I or one of the other folks that are in leadership here call you up and say, hey, let's talk about what that might look like, Awesome. Okay? This is not to guilt you into anything. This is to say, hey, we are here to help you, to help us become everything that God wants us to be. Uh, and there's one check mark on that box or on that list that says, uh, I'm interested in just sitting and learning each Sunday. Okay? And I was joking with somebody early in the week that I'm going to put that on there just to make people feel bad. Okay? Um, but I got to thinking about it, and if that's you... Check that box and don't turn this card in. Take it home and put it someplace where you will see it regularly. And ask God, why is that my life? Okay? Because that life does not line up with Romans 12 and 13. And if that's really where you are, okay, that's okay. If that's really where you stay, that's not. Okay? So if, if that's kind of where you are, maybe that means you call up and say, hey, I need to understand this gospel thing. I need to understand more about Christ. Okay. Or maybe you just need to go, hey, do I really believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Okay. Whatever that looks like, do that. So I'll ask you now to take out some time, or take some time, and, and fill out this card. It's not mandatory. If you're already going six ways to Sunday, doing all kinds of stuff in for God's kingdom, you don't have to fill it out. You don't have to turn it in. Okay. This is designed to be a prompt and to be a help, to allow us 
to help equip you for the ministries that God may want you to be involved in. And like the other part there, uh, that's so if you're thinking about something that we have never thought about, that may be the next thing that God wants Red Hills to do, fill that in. If you're like, hey, I've always wanted to be a missionary. I really have a heart for those overseas. Okay? Fill that in. I've always wanted to be, uh, or I, I, I feel a call now that maybe I'm supposed to be in full-time ministry. Fill that in. Okay? So I'm going to take a, a second here. I probably should have thought to have some background music, but we're not going to have any, so it'll just be awkward. You guys take a second, fill that in. Um, and I'm getting nods that uh, Brian's all set to go. And when we're done, uh, just waiting for a couple minutes to give folks to do that, um, we'll uh, finish up our service. Thank you, Anthony. So thank you for taking the time to do that. Obviously, if you're still thinking through, praying through, working on that, um, uh, take your time. Um, I noticed that some folks kind of had their eyes closed, and that's encouraging because I think people are praying. Hopefully, they're not just just sleeping, but that's exactly where we're supposed to be uh, as we're thinking about how we should respond to God's love for us. Uh, And this is the point in the service where the the sometimes pastor guy goes, I forgot to get ushers to get the little things so we could collect those. So um, 
So I apologize for not being better prepared for that. So what I'll ask you to do is, if you filled out one of those cards, uh, there's an offering box on the way out in the back. If you can just drop it in there, um, and uh, and we'll collect them out of there. That that'll work. It'll probably be a little bit of a line there, I would imagine. But I apologize for that. That was that was my bad planning. Um, but I do want to finish up. Um, just making sure that we're focused in the right direction as we think about how we sh- should respond to God this way. So, so this is what Paul is saying to us. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You take nothing else away from today. Uh, it should be the idea that God has saved us, Christ has saved us, so that we can do the good works that he prepared beforehand for us to do. Okay? We have not been saved so that we can sit. We have not been saved so that we can be comfortable. We have been saved so that we can join him in what he is doing in this world. And I, I hope you'll be inspired to do that. I hope uh, that the fact that we're coming off of Easter and the miraculous message of the cross and the resurrection will inspire you to live in a way that your body or your life is a living sacrifice. I think sometimes about how does this all play out in life, and I hope that I'm one of those people that when I get to the end of life, I'm worn out and used up and have all kinds of crazy adventures and stories and, and you know nothing has been held back because I was just trying to do what my Lord wanted me to do because I love him that much. Okay? That's where I hope I end up. That's where I hope you end up. And so let's pray, and we'll be done with this message. Father God, what an incredible thing.